This Washington Post Live podcast is presented by AT&T Business, keeping your business connected today and building it for tomorrow with 5G on America's best network. You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. Representative Jim Jordan has been one of President Trump's top lieutenants on Capitol Hill, and he hopes to keep playing that role for four more years. Jordan joined the Washington Post to discuss how Republicans can carry Ohio again this year and the legislative priorities his conservative colleagues have for the 117th Congress. Let's listen. Good afternoon. I'm Karen Tumulty. I'm a columnist here at the Washington Post. I write about politics, and we're so glad that you could join us today for our conversation with Congressman Jim Jordan. Congressman Jordan is one of President Trump's closest allies, as Paul Kane just said. He, represent, he represents Ohio in the Congress. He is also the ranking Republican on the Oversight Committee. So, Congressman, thank you again for joining us today. Um, you, you've, got a, you've got a speaking part tonight. Um, so what is it that you think you want to convey to Republicans and maybe people who are just undecided in this election uh, on this opening night of the convention? Uh, Karen, in spite of relentless opposition from uh, the Democrats, from the mainstream press, and frankly, as we know, some of the never Trumpers, this president has done exactly what he said he was going to do, delivered for the American people. Um, that's the message I'll talk about. You know, you think about prior to the coronavirus, taxes cut, regulations reduced, economy growing at an unbelievable pace. Just amazing results this president got. Uh, just for- amazing. Aaron, can you hear me? I feel like there's a big echo. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry there. The, our audio was breaking up just a little bit, which seems to happen uh, when, we, when we're doing these things virtually. Uh, if you don't mind, you say you want to talk about the president's successes. You want to talk about what he's achieved. Um, do you think that that, that is, is going to be the focus of this week? Well, I think it's going to be the American people. I mean, we got Alice Johnson talking. You got Dana White talking. You got this. You got this uh, large collection of the American people who the president's been fighting for. I think what the American people so appreciate about President Trump is this. This, you know, I wish it wasn't this rare, but this rare idea that he actually has done what he said he would do. I mean, I think about out of the Iran deal, embassy in Jerusalem, hostages home from North Korea, new NAFTA agreement, all things he promised he was going to do. Conservative judges. Rebuilding the wall. I mean, are building the wall, rebuilding our economy. So I, I, I think that is a key message. What he did, exactly what he told the American people he was going to work on, and he's delivered on those on those issues. So this is a very unusual setup logistically for a political convention. Uh, the Republicans are are trying to make it a bit of a hybrid. Part of it will be in person. Part of it will be virtually. Your comments tonight, will you be delivering them live or were they pre-recorded as we saw so many of the speeches last week at the Democratic convention? Oh, yeah, it was taped. It was taped like uh, like like so many. We just uh, we did that um, last, uh, I believe last Thursday. Well, another thing that, that is sort of interesting about this convention, um, and I have written in the past that party platforms don't often mean a lot. They, they are quickly forgotten after a convention often by the nominee himself. 
But the Republicans made a pretty unusual decision this year, which was essentially not to have a platform at all, essentially to go back to what you said in 2016 and just say, essentially, the agenda of the Republican Party is to support the agenda of Donald Trump. Do you think that is a, a wise idea? Well, I would, I would disagree with the premise. I think principles don't change. We're the party that believes in the rule of law. We're the party that believes in the Constitution. We're the party that believes in, in key institutions in our culture. We're the pro-life party. We're the party that thinks you should uh, cut taxes, not raise them like Joe Biden wants to do. We're the party that thinks you should put conservative judges on our, on our court, in our court system. So I don't think any of that's changed. Uh, I think we're, 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 the, we're the conservative party. And frankly, Karen, I would argue we're, we're the pro-America party. You look at you look at what the Democrats are allowing to happen and and refuse to denounce what is going on in in our great American cities. That is scary. And and Bill Barr asked this question a few weeks ago in the judiciary hearing. Why won't Democrats denounce the mob, denounce the violence, denounce what is happening in our cities? Instead of denouncing it, what do they do? They 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 encourage this whole defund the police concept. So um, I don't think the party's changed at all. Principles don't change, uh, and we still have the same principles. But but doesn't not having a, a specified, spelled out set of principles that the party stands for, as parties have done every four years at their conventions, I mean, doesn't this sort of open you up to the idea that essentially the Republican Party has essentially has become an extension of Donald Trump? No, the the the. the uh... The president campaigned in 16 that he was going to cut taxes. He got elected and said, he, and we actually cut taxes. He said he was going to reduce regulations. He got elected and reduced regulations. When he gets reelected here in 70 some days, he's going to do the same thing in the second term. The president campaigned on the fact that he was going to put conservative judges in our federal on our federal bench. He has done that. When he gets reelected in seven days, he will do the same thing. The president campaigned on he was going to put the embassy in Jerusalem. He did that. The president campaigned on he was going to focus on America, focus on trade deals. He got a new NAFTA agreement. He's going to continue to focus on trade deals. He's going to now he's already looking to get trade trade agreements with with India, with Japan, with the United Kingdom. So th th those those same principles, those same ideals still apply now. And he's going to continue to do that. And he's most importantly going to continue to fight for regular Americans regular families across this country and do what he said he would do. I, I, th that is that is who we are. That is who the president is. That is what he's going to continue to do. And again, I think that's why he's going to, I think that's why he's going to win uh, on election day. I think that's why you saw the CBS poll uh, just over the weekend shows he's up with independence in spite of the Democrats just having their convention. Um, the president is up with independence. So those are all good signs. And again, I see it in Ohio. You know, he won Ohio by eight and a half points. I think he's going to win by a larger margin. Uh, on on uh, on election day. Well, of course, some some of the issues that that you were dealing with, the party was dealing with, all of us were dealing with in 2016. Uh, we're looking at a different set of crises in in 2020, and um, so I think everyone's trying to figure out how how to come to grips with them. You um, were a critic of the $25 billion uh, postal service bill that passed the House on Saturday. Could you talk a little bit about that in terms of um, what you would have preferred to see in that and also what your constituents are seeing in Ohio as a result of some of the, you know, some of the things that are being done at the, the postal service? 
Well, I'll, I'll, I'll come at this. What, what our constituents are seeing in Ohio, the president was just at the uh, uh, Whirlpool plant in Clyde, Ohio, in our district. Uh, what they're seeing is manufacturing on the rebound. They're seeing, um, you know, this is, I believe, manufacturing's best friend, this president. Uh, when the president was there, they're, they're going like crazy. Uh, we're, we're seeing great results in our um, manufacturing sector of our economy across our state. I was in the opposite side of the state last week, Youngstown. Uh, not necessarily considered a hotbed of Republicans. There was a huge event in Youngstown. Uh, Union Democrats now, I think, pro-Trump Republicans. Um, so that's what I'm seeing across the state. This bill that the Democrats passed before they even had a hearing, which I think was, you know, amazing. The hearing was the hearing is just now starting to just now finishing up. Uh, been going on all day, but they voted on the on the legislation last week. Is just politics, just the latest conspiracy theory that. Um, the Democrats have. You don't have to take my words for it. That's that's what's that's what the Wall Street Journal said about it. So, um, yeah, this is this is a ridiculous uh, piece of legislation. The D Democrats' latest attempt to go after the president of the United States. Well, are are you are you hearing anything from your? Because you've got a, a big district, presumably a lot of people very very dependent on the U.S. Postal Service. Um, are you hearing of any sorts of problems uh, out, out in the, you know, especially the sort of more rural areas of your district? And what I'm hearing from folks in our district is their concern about this idea what, that, that Democrats want to mail live ballots out to every single voter. That, that's, that's the world the Democrats would prefer, and that's what they're pushing for. What I hear from our constituents is their concern about that. In Ohio, you have to request an absentee ballot have it sent to you or go to the Board of Elections to vote absentee ahead of the of election day. Uh, we don't just we don't just in a, in a normal course of business, just mail ballots out, live ballots out. So I hear concerns about uh, from citizens about that fact that Democrats are pushing for. And that's what this bill's about. That's what this whole conspiracy theory going after the postmaster general is about. They got $14 billion cash on hand. They got a $10 billion line of credit. The, the, the moving of the sorting machines and, uh, and, and changing out some of the uh, mail collection boxes is nothing new. Every postmaster general has done it. Uh, it between 2011 and 2016, the Obama-Biden administration moved out 12,000 mail collection boxes. But somehow, oh, now, now it's a crisis because this postmaster general is doing the same thing. We know what this is about. This is about the Democrats. I said this today in the hearing creating chaos, creating confusion, because they know that Tr President Trump's gonna win on election day, but they wanna keep counting ballots after the fact. Just like they did in Chairwoman Maloney, just like in her primary election where the election was June 23rd and they didn't get results until six weeks later. Just like what happened in New Jersey with their primary, where their election was last month, they didn't get results for four weeks later. Uh, just like, I mean, this <laughs> different example, but uh, I don't think it was the post office's fault. I said this in the, in the hearing as well today. I don't think it was the post office's fault that it took a month to figure out who won the Democrat Iowa caucus. I still don't know who won. I don't know if it was, I, I can't even remember if they determined who won, Biden, Bernie, or whoever. So this is about chaos and confusion because President Trump's going to win on election day. They want to keep counting ballots after the fact. But so you yourself mentioned conspiracy theories. Um, what's the problem with taking your time to count ballots? It's um, I mean, isn't that just a sign that they're trying to be careful? What's the problem with making sure we get the ballots in on time? The postmaster general, that's why I sent the letter out to boards of elections to secretary of state saying, hey, why don't you make sure ballots come in on time so we can actually get a real count, get this get this election done on election day like we're supposed to versus counting it after the fact. What's wrong with that? That's the way we've always done it in the United States of America. What's wrong with that? 
Well, again, I mean, it, a lot of states use have been using by, vote by mail pretty heavily. And, and for instance, in Arizona in 2018, it took a number of days to to count the ballots. And, and in some cases, people who were in the lead on election night were not in the lead once the mail-in ballots. And so it's all what happened with the ballot harvesting in California, Karen, how well we know. There were a number of Republicans who were way ahead, but Democrats kept counting and counting and counting and shazam, found a bunch of ballots. I, I, a, a person that we've, we've, uh, we've helped in her campaign in New Mexico was declared the winner on election night. Yvette Harrell was declared the winner only only a few hours later. Oh, wait a minute. We just found some ballots. And then then a few days later, nope, nope, Democrat won. So that's a concern. That's a concern. We want every legitimate ballot to be counted, of course. But do we really want it to go six weeks after, like in Chairwoman Maloney's case? I don't think so. You think the American people would tolerate that? Six weeks after the election? Four weeks after? A month after in Iowa to figure out who won a Democrat caucus where they all showed up in person. Do we want that kind of chaos? Well, so Congressman, though, we, we have a situation here where there is there is a virus out there. A lot of people are afraid to go to the polls physically in person. Uh, a number of poll workers, uh, they tend to be elderly retirees, don't want to be sitting out there exposed to other people all day. What is the alternative then to using the mail and using you know other less traditional means to really allow everybody to you know express their you know and and vote in this election? Vote safely, do it safely, but do it in person. We should still have a we. I mean that's the safest way. You just had on Senator Blunt. He said the same thing. The safest way, the best way to make sure you know your vote is counted is to show up in person. In Ohio, we have signature match. We have to show your ID. You show up to the people who work your precinct. My wife and I, we go to our little local township building and we vote there. That's the best way to do it. Let's do it safe, but let's do it that way. That is that is the safest way to make sure this election is secure and safe. I, I, I'm, I, I'm always amazed. You know, I'm always amazed. Democrats are, are fine with protesting in person, but oh, no, 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 we don't want you voting in person. I mean, Democrat mayors will go out and kneel down in front of the mob like Mayor Garcetti did without a mask around hundreds and hundreds of people. That's just fine. But oh, you can't go to church. You can't go to school. You can't go to work. You can't go to the beach. You can't vote in person. You can't play college football. Come on. We're talking about a presidential election year. We're talking about the importance of the election and making sure it is done fairly and right and secure. We can do it in a safe fashion and we can do it in person. Do you have any ideas though for making sure, for instance, that there are enough poll workers, that, that people are not having to stand in extra long lines? And again, I mean, there, there are plenty of reasons to be concerned about that, especially no, if you're a senior citizen or or have health issues underlying that might make you more vulnerable. And that's why we're getting ready for it. That's why we have Secretary of States and local boards of election. They're, they're working on that as we speak. And, and that's why we're preparing ahead of time. Frankly, that's why the Postmaster General sent a letter out to make sure that that Board of Elections and Secretaries of State understand what's happening, make sure they're getting ready for this and make sure they understand what the post office can and can't do. 
Well, another another big issue that's going to be confronting Congress in the very near future is is another stimulus package to to deal with the effects of the virus, to deal with the effects on the economy. Could you talk a little bit about that and what what you want to see, where you think this whole this whole thing is going? I think the best stimulus is to go back to work. I've said it for months. Um, we're already seeing the rebound, what I call the great American comeback happening. Um, it would happen faster if so many of these Democrat governors wouldn't keep their state on lockdown, would actually let Americans go back to work. I just, I fundamentally disagree with this, um, this, this premise that way too many folks here in Washington, way too many Democrats uh, have adopted this idea that somehow government cares more about the well-being of employees than the small business owner does. The small business owner cares more about his or her employees. They've trained them, they work with them, they work with them every single day. Those employees are the reason their business is, is successful. Their kids go to school together, they go to church together. There is no way the federal government cares more about the, the well-being of those employees than that small business owner does. And the same goes for the customers. You know, the, I always think it's amazing. They're, they're, the people in the federal government uh, have all these rules and regulations and all, but the small business owner knows the customer, knows their employees. They care more about their well-being. And that is, I just refuse it. So the best stimulus we can have is let this economy go. Let it take off again. Let it flourish. Don't keep holding it back. Do it in a safe way. Protect the, the, the most vulnerable in our, in our population. Certainly, there's going to have to be accommodations. But business owners are willing to do that. But somehow, no, no, Democrat governors, Democrat mayors say, no, no, we got to keep our cities on lockdown. We got to keep our, 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 our small business owners from opening their business and going back to work. That is the best stimulus. Let the American economy take off and it'll get back to where it was. We already have businesses. We had a business in our district, in the manufacturing sector. Tell me, March was the best month in the history, 70 years in business. March was the best month in the history of their business. They said April and May, the worst two months. But June and July, back to the best months. When we when we began to re reopen again, they're in manufacturing. It's taken off. If if we just let things open up, you would see that that happen. But Congressman, some of the mayors in your own state have said that they really need some federal help to get through this. Are they wrong? I, th I think the uh, the legislation I like is the one put forward by my colleague from Ohio, Mr. Davidson, where there is over a trillion dollars uh, out there already. It was sent out in the first CARES package. Let some of that money have a little more flexibility with that money so that money out the door for uh, a, a local local government, for a city or a township or county that was specifically marked for direct COVID expenses, give a little flexibility there for some of the lost revenue that happened when when uh, these these small business owners were shut down and the tax revenue didn't flow into the local government like it like it traditionally and normally would. So give some flexibility there. That's that's Congressman Davidson's bill. I think it makes common sense. Uh, the money's already out the door. That could be helpful to local governments. But the best thing would help local governments is what I just said. Let people go back to work and the tax revenue starts coming back in because the economy is earning, turning and churning. That's that's what we need. Congressman, if we could switch topics here a bit. Uh, something we've been hearing a lot about in the news lately is QAnon. It's a, it's a possibly a, a movement, but it's based on some wacky sounding stuff about satanic cults. And uh, you have supported at least one QAnon candidate who is uh, who has won her primary and is likely to be your colleague in Congress come come January. 
uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene. Does her support for this bother you? I don't even know what QAnon is. Haven't taken the time to look into it because I think it's ridiculous. Um, but I know Marjorie. Marjorie. You. Marjorie you, Green you haven't looked into it, and you supported her. No, but she's a conservative Republican. I didn't even know that she that there was any talk of her linkings to QAnon or whatever. I just knew she was a conservative Republican who cares about the same things that I do, the president does, and, and frankly, uh, most Americans, and certainly a majority of Republicans in her district, as evidenced by the fact that she won, and she won big. So, uh, you know, you guys are the ones focused on QAnon when we got other big issues that we need to be addressing. I don't even know what they're about, what they do, and frankly, I don't care, because I think what little I've heard about it from you guys in the press, they seem strange to me. So, I, I, but it's not something I care about, not something I spend any time on. My job is to do what I told the voters in the fourth district of Ohio I was gonna do. I focus on that every day. And over the next 70 some days, I'm gonna keep talking to the families and taxpayers that I get the privilege of representing in the fourth district. And I'm gonna do everything I can to help President Trump get reelected. So let's be clear on this. So you say that when you decided to support her, and I think she got some support from other members of the Freedom Caucus as well, uh, that you were not aware that she was embracing you know these about, kind I, of- I don't know anything about QAnon. I don't know. I mean, uh, I, I don't know what they do. So it, it wasn't even an issue to me. Uh, my, my, my focus was she's a conservative candidate we thought could win that primary. We supported her, as did a whole bunch of other Republicans, again, because she won in a big way. And can I ask you, uh, you uh, backed President Trump's call to boycott Goodyear, which is an Ohio-based company. Um, and it was in part because of, um, I believe you said, because they were allowing their employees to wear Black Lives Matter gear. They have also said um, Thursday that they would also support if their employees want to wear blue lives matter, oh. sure. So it's um, already had an impact. It's already had an impact. So, so do you think the president ought to drop the boycott? Look, I, I think the president said what what the vast majority of the employees at Goodyear believe. The idea that your employer says, "Oh, this is acceptable. This isn't. We're going to infringe on your First Amendment liberties. We're going to say you can say something that we think is politically correct." but we're gonna cancel your ability to, to speak out in, in, in another way. I just don't think that makes sense. It was, it was interesting to me, this, the same day this happened, we did a uh, op-ed in the um, Plain Dealer talking about the cancel culture mob and how they discriminate against conservative points of view. And then here we have this. So I think the president, I think the president was speaking for the vast majority of the employees at Goodyear, for all kinds of people around this country, all kinds of people around Ohio. I always, I think I said this earlier, he won Ohio by eight and a half points, in 2016, my guess is he's speaking for a majority of Ohioans when he said that uh, Goodyear shouldn't discriminate against points of view of, uh, of their employees. Do you think that a company has the right to prohibit their employees from wearing specific campaign gear, MAGA hats, or for that matter, you know, Joe Biden for president shirts? Be consistent. That's all we're saying. Be consistent. You want to you prohibit it? Prohibit it. You want to allow it? Allow it all. Don't say, "Oh, we're good. it's okay to wear the left-wing stuff. You can't wear that. You can't wear conservative stuff." I mean, come on. All we're saying is, because this is this is the beauty of the First Amendment, and what is so dangerous about today's cancel culture mob. You think about the world of sports. Think about what we saw in the past few months. Drew Brees says, "Stand for the anthem." The mob comes after him. 
uh, Mike Gundy, the football coach at Oklahoma State, goes fishing with his kids, wears the wrong T-shirt, according to the left today, and he gets canceled. They come after him. He has to take it. He almost loses his job. They come after him. And then James Harding wears back the blue mask or some pro, you know, pro, uh, pro police, pro, pro, pro law enforcement mask, and they target him, and he has to go out and, and, and deal with that. This is ridiculous, and Americans know it. But the Democrats are so afraid of the left. This is why they won't denounce. This is why they won't denounce what the mob's doing in Portland. Been doing it for 90 days. Why they won't denounce this whole defund the police concept because they're so afraid of the cancel culture. They're so afraid of the mob. It's now part of their party. That's the scary thing. So that's what this is about. And I'm convinced the American people see through it. Another thing that's happened recently was the release of the Senate Intelligence Committee report, which I think saw it showed both a little bit more about how aggressive the Russians were in trying to meddle with with our election in 2016, and also um, a network of contacts that that hadn't been revealed before with with Paul Manafort, who had a high up position in. President Trump's campaign. Now, this is a report that came out of a committee that is run by Republicans in the Senate. You've been a very vocal defender of the president on all of this, including on just in general, his entire approach to foreign policy. Was there anything in that report that bothered you? No. I mean, look, because we, we, we already knew that, you know, Russians are Russians always try to, you know, meddle in United States affairs, just like the Chinese do. So, so that 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 was um, that was nothing new. So, so this was, you, you know, you guys first you put all your you you talked about the Mueller report, and the Mueller report comes out and says no collusion, no conspiracy, no coordination whatsoever. So the Mueller report was clear, but now you talk about this report. The real news the last few weeks, the real news, was the fact that an FBI lawyer pled guilty to lying to a court, a secret court, the FISA court, pled guilty, and he did all that, lied to the court, the secret court, the FISA court, he did all that so they could spy on the Trump campaign. And you guys don't want to talk about that, but oh, this this report that says, oh, some Paul Manafort well, talked to some Russians. We've known, we've known Paul Manafort talked to the Russians forever, and he was like, he was like campaign chair for like three minutes of the president's campaign. So, you know, come on, the real story, the real story in all this, is Klein Smith pled guilty, falsified a document that was taken to a court, did that for the specific purpose of being able to spy on the president's campaign. And the real story the last few months has been what they did to General Flynn, where between election day and inauguration day, 38 people 49 times unmasked his name. And they hatched this strategy in the January 5th, 2017 meeting in the Oval Office with Biden, Obama, Comey, and Yates, and Rice all in that meeting to go get Mike Flynn 20 days later, 19 days later on June 20, uh, excuse me, 15 days later on June 20th, when they set him up and got him, excuse me, 24th, 20th was inauguration day. But again, this was not the media didn't generate this report. It, it was your Republican colleagues in the Senate, and they did think that there was a very a very grave national security risk posed by by the things that were happening in 2016. Is there anything that I mean? Do you agree with that? And is there anything that that I you think, guys and, ought and to I do? Think, I think the chairman. I think Mr. Rubio said the president did nothing wrong. He didn't. He didn't. It said the same thing Mueller said, and we spent 40 million dollars on the Mueller report. 
But I'm asking whether Congress and whether the president ought to be doing something to prevent this from happening again. Well, we should always be concerned about foreign entities trying to interfere with any any election we're having. Just like I'm nervous about, you know, what what may happen if if the Democrats get their way and send out, you know, live ballots to everyone. So I think there's always concern. We want our elections to be safe, secure. We've talked about that. So we should always be concerned about that. Well, yes, we certainly do hope our elections are safe and secure this time around. Uh, Congressman Jordan, unfortunately, we are out of time. time You're saying they weren't last time? Uh, I'm saying, oh, that's what I'm saying. We would like our elections this time around to be safe and secure, unlike what we uh, what we saw four years ago. No, I think it was safe and secure last time. You may not like the outcome, but it was safe and secure. And President Trump won and he won with 63 million votes and he won an Electoral College landslide. But again, the, the, the you know, the, the Senate Intelligence Committee report does suggest, which was put together by Republicans, does suggest that there were some real problems. But again, I, I guess we're not going to settle that today. Uh, but Congressman, we are unfortunately out of time. Um, good luck with your speech tonight, although, it, as you, you said, it was put together, uh, put together a few days ago. And um, thank you so much for joining us. And we hope you'll be back soon. Thank you. Thanks, Take care. Sir. You too. Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com.